Just when the universe thrusts you into a space you feel unworthy of, that's when you need to get crazy good. Make the impossible possible. Welcome to Consciously, a podcast focused on honest conversations for regular people seeking spiritual growth. Here's our host, Menachem Poznanski. Hey, Consciously, welcome back. This is our second episode this week, but it's in lieu of Monday's episode, so I um, hope you enjoy. Today is Yud Shvat, uh, which is the anniversary of the day that the Rebbe, Rabbi Menachem Mendel Schneerson of Lubavitch, ascended to be the Rebbe of Chabad. I see it as an auspicious day and a day to learn from, and the way in which he handled it and the things we can learn from, you know, how he kind of approached speaking to this kind of straggling, relatively small group of Hasidim that had gathered around the Friedrich Rebbe, particularly after the Holocaust. And it seems clear that he himself had not anticipated kind of having a mantle of leadership. He was a quieter person for the first 50 years of his life. And how he kind of created a whole mission statement, which he ultimately became the embodiment of. Before we get there, I want to please ask you to subscribe to the podcast, give us a five-star review on Apple. It really helps us out. Also, share us with your friends. Uh, Make sure to check out our social media page, page, The Light Revealed, on Instagram and Facebook. We're doing a great series on the 12 steps of recovery and kind of correlating that to a principle from Tehillim. So I I think you'll enjoy checking that out. And also, if you want to reach out to us, you can reach us at consciousofthepodcast at gmail.com or on Instagram. We love to hear from you. So I asked my friend, mentor, fellow podcasting host, Rabbi Mayor Prager, to join me and to talk about what we could learn from the Rebbe and from this day. And, uh, you know, we tried to bring it down to a practical level, I think you'll see. So I hope you enjoy. Okay, Mayor, thanks so much for joining us. It's great to have you. Introduce you to the Consciously family yet again. Okay, so we're we're holding in Yud Shvat, which is, historically speaking, it's the Yurid site of the Friedrich Rebbe, the previous Lubavitcher Rebbe, the father-in-law of the, the Lubavitcher Rebbe. And it's also the day, one year later, where the Lubavitcher Rebbe accepted the Nasius, began his, his, uh, his reign, so to speak, as uh, the, the Rebbe of Chabad, and began his journey and career, so to speak, towards becoming one of the most fascinating and influential Jewish leaders of all time, uh, but definitely within our age. So... So the audience is familiar with how enamored I am with the Rebbe and Chabad, et cetera, et cetera. But I asked you to join us. We do, for those who don't know, Mayor and I do a podcast that's mainly Mayor's amazing ideas about Tanya and then me trying to tease him out and then we try to figure out how we can make it practical so it's not just up in the air. And that's great. You can check that out on all the different uh, podcast streaming uh, platforms. But uh, So I asked you to come on, Mayor, and talk about what Yud Shvat means, but really also like, what it is that we can take from that, you know, and even if somebody's, let's say, sitting, just to make this preface, somebody's sitting and saying, oh, I'm, I'm not into Chabad, or I'm not a Chabad chassid, why does this day matter for me? Um, I'll just preface it by, by saying, A, it matters, I think it, it matters anyway, uh, whether you think it does or not, but also just to kind of rationalize it a little bit, uh, for those who want to kind of jump into this and uh, perhaps are struggling with that, so to help you through resistance, to realize just the enormity of, of what the Rebbe accomplished from 1951 until 
Gibbon Thomas, this is Stalkus, and and just as a person, as a study of a human being who can just literally transform the world, um, which is remarkable, and 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 I think it's well worthwhile to kind of uh, try to digest what we can gather from that. And then on top of that, it's Adiki Sadailam. It's always good to learn about it's about that. Okay, so those are kind of my uh, justifications <laughs> for why it's okay to listen to this if you're struggling. And uh, so the question, Mayor, is where, okay. What what what's the takeaway at least for this year, at least in this moment, um, for the listener for your chvat? Menachem, it's always good sitting with you again. It's a good question. The Rebbe, the Rebbe didn't uh, for about a year from the passing of the uh, previous Wabach Rebbe, the Rebbe did not want to take the mantle of, of uh, Rebbe on, at all. He did whatever he can to try to push it on others to take responsibility. The, the, the community at large saw the greatness that exists in him and did not let him up. And a year later on the yard site, he accepted it in the terms of the way he said it. He said the first mimer, and that was the um, usually the the way you you coordinate. Uh, uh, how do you say, uh, And the first mimer he repeated. Coronate was the word you were looking for. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> we're using very majestic terms yes. this time. <laughs> and the um, he repeated. In, in, in Hasidic philosophy, in Hasidic history, the way it worked was a Rebbe would say a mimer, Hasidic discourse, and then people, Hasidim, would repeat it. But when they repeated it, they would never repeat it exactly as it was said. They put their own take on it, and then it became theirs. And the Rebbe took the, that last, that mimer, and that mimer was interesting. It was the, the previous Bob Rebbe gave out a mimer to be given out on that Shabbos, which actually was the day of his passing. So, oh, wow. So the Rebbe saw that as the, the pre, his, his father-in-law, the previous Muhammad Rebbe's will and mission statement for the next generation. <clears throat> and the Rebbe would say over this mimer every single year, and there was like 20 different chapters to this mimer, and every year he would focus on a different chapter and make that a, a very important thing. But there were there are certain central themes that he made that this mimer and the message to our generation is. The mimer is based on Shlema Melech saying, Basilogani, uh, God says, I came to my garden. And very happy that I came back to my garden. And the message says, what is he talking about, what garden? And uh, the message says that when God made this beautiful world, this world was Gan Eden. This place was a beautiful garden. And then, unfortunately, the sin of Odomarishan, he left Gan Eden. And then, subsequently, there was six other generational flops where the Shekhinah, God's presence, left the world, so to speak, whatever that means. And then the Medish says, Omdu Shivat Sadikim. And after that, seven Sadikim came afterwards that started bringing God back into this world. Avram was the first who opened up the path. Then Yitzchak and Yaakov. And then the seventh is Moshe Rabbeinu. And, and the Rebbe adds, Shvim, and all seventh, it says, Shvim and the sevenths are the best, are the most beloved. And Moshe brought it down in the sense of Matan Ter. 
So this Bosco Ghani is God's reaction to, to Martin Terra. I'm back. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Come back here for punishment, for marble, for Mitzrayim, for plagues. I'm just here with my family, Martin Terra, and this is the most beautiful thing in the world. And that's what was supposed to be the most beautiful. And, and there, and we go to Eitz Yisrael, Mashiach would have came. Unfortunately, the, uh, the golden calf happened, but that was the episode. And the Rebbe was referring that, saying that the Fidik Rebbe mentioning this mimer is referring also to the fact that from the Baal Shem Tevon, there was the Balatanya, the first, and then there was seven, six generations of Rebbeim, each one bringing Chassidus down to this world and making it accessible to all. And then he spoke about this generation, our generation, the seventh generation, the Chavivim that are most unique, and, uh, and they're going to bring it back. We got to bring it back. <laughs> got to bring God back. So at Matan Terra, after Matan Terra, the Jews wanted to relive that experience of Matan Terra. Said, so like, please, let's relive it. So God says, Make me a, a dwelling place, make me a Mishkan. And in that, in that space, you're gonna, you're, gonna, you're gonna feel me, you're gonna realize me. And that's how it was in the beginning. When they made the Mishkan, that was a place that was God's presence was, was just available to all. Again, if it was treated right, it would have stayed that particular way. So the Rebbe was then in, in, in the Hasidic discourse elaborated that the making and the, the uh, components of the Mishkan is the biggest lesson for us of how to do this, how to make a place where God, you can feel God. And one of the most important parts in the Beis Amikdash was what it was made out of. It was made of atzei shitim. It was um, acacia wood. Why, why that particular wood? Is also for the word. The word was a big message. Let's say shitim comes from the same word as shito, from from straying, from going, going off, going off a path. And he go, goes on to explain that when you go off the path, there's two ways of going off the path. There's one in a, in a way where it speaks about a a, a seder, where someone decides to go off the beaten, the normal path, and takes the wrong turn. And goes bad, but then spells a beautiful uh, from from the Gemara speaks about also speaks about the word path the shitim shtus but shtus tiktusha craziness in a good way, and the Gemara gives this tremendous story that there was a great Tana that was very taken by by uh, the mitzvah of hachnosis kava and and making a simcha by the chasana. So every time he would come to the wedding, he would start juggling hadasim in a way that was very, very unique and very, very entertaining. And everybody loved it. The problem was that he was one of the greatest Talmudic scholars. And it kind of looked belittling to the, to, the, to, the, to the institution to have him the juggler. You could have had a juggler come and you're bringing a guy from, from, the, from the circus to juggle. You can be there, but why does the, the, the greatest sage have to be the juggler? So they, 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 they said, it was like the old man's fallenness, you know. They called it kind of stupidity, so to speak. Childish, foolish. 
When this great tzaddik passed away, it says that this tremendous pillar of light came from above in the shape of a hados, of one of these juggling um, hadasim that he used to do, and it separated him from everybody else. He was like in a league of his own. And at that time, all the sages says, ooh, this is the hadas, this is the foliness, this is the, cra- the craziness of this tzaddik created a separation that was unbelievable. And then amazing about the story is that he didn't care he didn't care about himself. He didn't look care about his position and how it's going to look for him. He only cared about the fact that the Hassan Kala should realize how amazing it is that they're getting married and how amazing it is that Jewish family discontinuity and they're going to have kids and, and this is what it's all this is what it's all about. See, he let completely loose and gave up completely on his on his so-called uh, image just to make this message, and he was very successful. The Rebbe goes on to explain, say, amazingly, stories from every one of the Rebbeim about doing this particular type of act. He speaks about the Alter Rebbe once on Yom Kippur. Everybody knows the way the Balatani used to daven. It was just unbelievable. I mean, the intensity. and He literally many times would fall down because physically he couldn't stand. And it was a tremendous vision and the middle Yom Kippur, he just takes off his towels and he goes, he goes to, uh, he leaves Shul and he just goes to some hut at the end of town. Some lady just had, gave birth and there's no, everybody's in shift, but it's away and she's starving and she's not in good condition. And, she, and he, he, on Yom Kippur, he makes her a soup and he gives it to her and he goes back to Shul. And everybody was in was great was taken by this at this story. You should know that actually this is a story that Chassidim knew. Misnagdim, the the people who were against the Balatanya at the time, used to say, "Well, look what he's doing!" Like you know, and even Chassidim were uncomfortable. Like, why couldn't you just send the the Chaver organization or somebody else to go there? And they asked him this, and he goes, "Mitzvah God, it's a mitzvah to everybody to help out." He didn't even think twice. The person's in pain. He knew about it for somehow or reason. He got the second he heard about it, he went out to do something about it. And uh, so there, there was said this story actually made this story famous because at this bringing he, he announced it, and then he said a similar story with the Mitzvah Rebbe and Tzemach Tzedek and all the Rebbeim, all the same type of things where they left. They didn't. They didn't worry about what. What was right, what was wrong, you know, for their image, for the organization, they just cared to do it. It's interesting, years later, Rabbi Groner, the, the Rebbe's uh, secretary, had a brother who said over that he was in 770 the night before the Rebbe said this, it took on this, um, t- this tremendous Fabring and historical. Everybody was there and everybody was watching, and it's a Fabringen that people listen and learn and look through for now 62 years, every part of it. And he says the, the phone, the public phone in 770 was ringing, and he picked up the phone and he asks who this who, and it was there ever. He wasn't there ever then yet officially. And he asked him, he asked Rabbi Groner's uh, brother, he goes, Are you busy? If not, could you come over to my apartment? I uh, need some, I uh, need a helping hand. He came, he came in and he saw that there was all kinds of farm on the, on, the, on the table and there was reference points and they asked him if he can help find these places because he has something to do. Debra went to the phone at the same time and he started calling up, there was two, a doctor or two doctors about two different patients that needed help and 
and then started busying himself for a long time helping out these things. Now, think about it. The studying is what the Rebbe does. He's making a speech. This guy starts wasting time finding the wrong reference. He, he could have told this guy to make the phone call. No, because he knew. I once talked to, uh, there was a doctor in Crown Heights, Dr. Feldman. He's an amazing man. He just passed away, actually, about a month and a half ago. Ochova man, fantastic character. And, and, and I remember once watching him talking to the Rebbe and another doctor. Something happened in 770, and I happened to be there, and I was looking through the door, and I saw the Rebbe talking to them about medical situation, what, how to handle it. So afterwards, this Dr. Feldman was a neighbor of mine. So I asked him, I said, Doctor, how is it talking to the Rebbe about medical situation? How does it work? He said, amazing. He says, he never tells me what to do, but he sets up the questions in a way that there is really only one answer. <laughs> so I understood that from there, that the story that Rami Grona's brother was saying, they ever called up the doctor because he knew that he had to help the doctor in his focus, so to speak. You don't tell the doctor what to do because hurry for your app. But, you know, you have to guide them. And, and that person's health is the most, somebody else's physical health is most important. And that's the amazing takeaway in the Mimer, that that's what Atzei Shittim, that's how you build the walls of a Mishkan. That's how you create a foundation where godliness can, can come. There are a lot of other parts in the Mimer speaking about esoterical, deeper concepts. There's no question. But this is the framework. This is the, 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 this is the walls. This is how you, how you do it. And one of the Rebbe's amazing insights in Basilogani is that look how God refers to the world. You know, everybody's thinking, oh, it's the world, it's a dark place, you know, other places, holy, this. God says, Lugani, it's my garden. And we know that there is a, we call a, a place that you grow vegetables and food, basic the necessities of life is called a soda. But a place that you create for the finer parts of life, you know, uh, the fruits, flowers, the, the things that just, uh, that make things so much beautiful, you know, more beautiful, is in a garden. And that's how God refers to this world. Basilogani, I'm back to my garden. This place is now, it's, it's, a, it's a garden again. It's not just a place that it's needed, it's a passage through, it's going somewhere else, it's creating some necessities. No, it's the place you want, you're going to hang. That's the place you want to be. <clears throat> and, by the, and, and the Rebbe's attitude that the shtus, this concept of going out of the path, is the Rebbe's most important thing. It's not just doing the right thing. It's not just being good. It's being crazy good. It's taking things where Terry calls shtustikdusha, just crazy good. And that's the way that this thing gets done. And that was, his, and that was the Rebbe's calling card for all the years. No matter what beautiful thing that someone did, and he thanked him for it, he always pushed the limits and said, there's more. Why? Because he wanted to go to that place where the hadasim, where this special... Where 
where the beauty, the Kedusha, where you just broke your boundaries and you, 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 you broke yourself. And by breaking yourself, you created an environment that can create un- abundance of good where God and everybody realizes that this world is a truly beautiful place to be. Okay, so let me, let me just highlight some points that jumped out at me and then maybe we'll close off just with like, like practically like, okay, so what do we do with that now? And what are kind of like the marching orders uh, or the kind of points of instruction? So you talked about how the Rebbe is describing this idea of, of you know, God creates the world, there's a certain retraction of God's presence in the world through, la- through seven layers of sins of humankind, and then certain tzaddikim come into the world, Avram Yitzhak all the way down to Moshe, right? And they draw God's light, God's shechina back into the world. Moshe Rabbeinu being the culmination, the seventh generation, which is seventh is chavivin, and that's kind of like a, an interesting point to kind of like focus in on, that the seventh generation the generation of Moshe Rabbeinu, even though Avram Yitzhak and Yaakov are so high and so wonderful, but at the end of the day, this seventh generation, the generation that left Mitzrayim, the stiff, stiff-necked and stubborn people, the same people that did the Egel Hazav, are the Chavivin, are the, are the beloved ones. So what you talked about is that the seventh generation, the idea of the seventh generation was that Moshe Rabbeinu was going to, to be the channel that would draw the, the Torah into the world, right? When the Torah rel- relates to the idea of the essence of God, the Torah is anonafshik um, siva yavas, right? All right? I re- wrote my soul into it, so, so to speak, the soul of God coming down into the world, into a very practical place, right? And Torah is full of practical mitzvos, right? Practical actions that are the essence of God manifest into the world. So it's this idea of kind of taking that highest level of spirituality and bringing it down to a very kind of material space, right? And Jew sin, right? So then the question is, okay, so how do we recover from that? So the recovery from that place of sin is the Mishkan, right? Which is this space where God can we can draw God's presence or invite God's presence down into the world. Right? So how is the Mishkan created? So you talked about this idea of Atzei Shittim, right? Which corresponds to this idea of Shtus, of a certain, you know, um, A, on the one hand, like a certain insanity or a loss of perspective, but also a Shtus is kind of like a, a Shtus to Kedusha, which is kind of what you were highlighting. I'm not going to go into all the different ways in which you highlight it, but this is kind of like what sometimes we call in the podcast like this, for free and for fun, just to do th- the right thing for the right thing's sake without a lot of contemplation or to do that which seemingly would be a denigration or something that seems silly or not most important, but to make that the most important. And you talked about how the Rebbe brought down all these different stories of the previous Rebbeim, all the tzaddikim, about, for example, the Alta Rebbe making soup for the woman who's sick when everyone thinks, oh, the Alta Rebbe should be in shul because in shul he's davening and he's like elevating the whole universe with his davening. But meanwhile, for the Alta Rebbe, the most important thing was to practically make a soup, which seems crazy, but if you're looking at the world through the lens of this idea of kol shivin chavivin, of asuli mikdash v'shachanti b'seichem, of the fact that God doesn't want us living in heaven, but God wants us to manifest his presence down here, right? This is the Gan. This is where he wants to be. This is heaven. Heaven is right here. So when a person's looking through that perspective, that which would 
seemingly appear to be nonsense or silly suddenly is actually very, very the holiest thing. And that reflected in the story of the Tanya, of the Tana, who would juggle the Hadassim, and then the, the, the fiery flame came down when he passed away in the shape of a Hadass to signal to all the other tzaddikim at that time, like you thought that this was a silliness on his part, but it's really the holiest thing because he put aside his own covet, he put aside his own honor and his own you know, uh, identity in order to be mechazek, to be mesameach the chasen and kala. And that's really the holiest thing, right? So that which we oftentimes overlook and think is silly, which to me is kind of a main thrust of what you were trying to get across um, in explaining what the Rebbe was trying to put forward, is actually the most important, right? And and part of the way that you frame that is based on the fact that here you have the Rebbe, who's now being, so to speak, nominated or coronated to be the head of Chabad Hasidus, right? Which then catapulted him into a place of world Jewry leadership and ultimately even world leadership in terms of his impact and his influence on in so many ways on the world, um, definitely on this country, the United States. So, right, but the Rebbe was hesitant to take that mantle. There was a certain hesitation, but then there was some kind of shift and the shift has to do, seemingly, based on what I was understanding you're saying, has to do with the way in which the Rebbe kind of accepted the mantle of leadership, but specifically through the lens of this idea of, of which is, even though it doesn't make sense, so to speak, that we're supposed to be the most important, really we're the most important, even though it feels like the previous generations, the guys living in the shtetl in Europe, they had it much more figured out than us. Or, those were the good ones. Right? Those, those guys had it figured out. We're a bunch of knuckleheads. We have nothing figured out. We seem to have no shaykhs, no connectedness to God. Or we seem to be so distorted, so disconnected. And in fact, the Rebbe is saying, okay, that could be true, but nonetheless, here we are, and Chavivin, this is the Gan of Hashem, this is the garden of Hashem. Hashem's not, you know, Hashem's not waiting for those. Those are just prefaces to this space of drawing that light in a way of Shtus, which is almost insane. It seems like crazy. It seems not normal. Why would God want us? And yet he does. Right? And yet there's a certain in a certain way he chooses us. He chooses this space. Right? So that that has seems to have something to do with A, the way in which the Rebbe framed his Nasius, but also the message that he's giving us, particularly those of us who are kind of, you know, grappling with our own selves and our own flaws and our own inconsistencies and our own, you know, limitations, right? So there seems to be a very, very powerful message for us. It seems almost obvious that this is the message, that the Rebbe was the seventh Rebbe of Chabad, that he was drawing down this message, and that now our responsibility, it kind of makes sense that we're knuckleheads because, you know, this seems to be a message that really resonates with us. Part of the question that I have is, well, A, is there anything you want to clarify that I, that I misrepresented? But also, like, okay, so then what's the takeaway practically, aside from like just the encouragement of like, it's okay, don't worry about it. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't have to make sense. It's good. Like, this is what it's about. It's about trying to manifest godliness in a very reality-centric, material-centric universe, which seems like shtus, but it's actually the most important thing. It's what God wanted in the first place, which is nice, and that can kind of like draw us away from the despondency that can come along with awareness of our flaws, but like practically what's the marching orders that we can take from this and what's the kind of practical inspiration we can take from today and from the Rebbe's life and from what he accomplished to be practically kind of expressed in our lives. I don't know, you said it so nice. Uh, I was listening to myself for the first time. <laughs> <laughs> I love 
when you explain things. <laughs> Thank you. That's so nice. Okay, so I, I didn't I so, didn't totally distort so what you said. The way, I, <laughs> the way I see it is I just say something to get you going. That's from my perspective. All right. The the takeaway is like we st- we started before. I think that the way the, it's interesting, even though the Rebbe was the Rebbe, he never said that he was there. He never said those words. In all the years, 50 years of the Rebbe's Nesias, of being a Rebbe, and speaking countless hours, more than anybody in history, in explaining every single aspect of terror, and every single nuance, and letters, thousands and thousands of letters, on every single issue you can imagine. So Most of the Rebbe's, as much, it's hard to believe, but a tremendous amount of the Rebbe's work didn't even see print yet. Yet he never spoke about himself as as the Rebbe. It's my ta- it's my feeling, and he always spoke about the Rebbe, the Shver, the Vedic Rebbe is the Rebbe. So his Rebbe passed away on Yud Shvat, and the way he saw that, what's his message? What's the previous Rebbe saying? Okay, now that I'm not I'm I'm so called not here, even though I am here. But how do you engage that strength that that the Rebbe gives you? I give you, I'm telling you what to do, the same way the way God created the world and what he said with the base Amigdosh. You have to do, you have to make the walls out of Atzeshitim. You can't think you're methodically going to work this out. You're not, because we're, we're like you say, we're knuckleheads, and the, jaw and the odds are we're going to trip on ourselves. And you do something, but when you start not looking at things in the sense of, of where I am, step one, step two, but just like, I gotta get it, I gotta make him happy, my friend needs help, I gotta get it done. Mm. And everybody tells you it's not possible, and when you hear it's not possible, you don't hear the word not possible, you hear like, oh, I'm gonna have to work, I'm gonna have to do much more. Uh, uh, things are going to change, miraculously, because that's how it's, it's been, and that's how, and that's how we engage the Rebbeims, the other seven generations, the Avram, Avram Yitzchak, how, how do you engage the, the energies of Avram Yitzchak, all the seven generations before, and the Rebbeim, the Alter of all the Rebbeim, all, Chaba, all, Bar, all great Sadiqim, how do regular people access that? Because we all are, as we, we learned many times in Tanya, we're all we all come from the same place, we all the same thing, we're all part of God equally. But how does the disgeneration Access that by by doing something crazy good, kind of crazy good. Mm. And right when you think that you did it, you know it's like when you you know when my kids you know you play a video game, you get it's almost impossible to win this this level. But all of a sudden you 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 get to this level, all of a sudden it's normal. Now it's time to move to the next level. That's the big calling card. That Hanimleishtusidisaba. Like the, the these are the this is the following. This is this great. Great energy is by by going past the norm, more than that. Push, push. As it doesn't, it will always seem to be blocks. There's always going to be a block, a mental block, an emotional block. There's always something, a reason why not to do it. And then think about what happens when somebody doesn't listen to any of those blocks, and he goes ahead and tries to do everything he possibly can and more to do it. That the message the Fidik Rebbe passed on to our generation. And that was the message that the Rebbe lived for and gave over to everybody else. And we see himself also. He never stopped. It almost, you'll, you'll study any Jewish great. I'm not Jewish. I'm doing even Jewish great. You have, everybody has a certain style. 
a style. This way, that way, this one's a pasic, this one's this, this one talks this way. Everybody has a, has a you look at the Arab is also his body of work. In, in, in the 50s, he was one way, and then 60s, I'm, you can micromap it, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80, he kept on changing. He kept on changing and pushing more and more and more and more and more. Right. He was, he was a living embodiment of this concept that you just, that this is a beautiful place, this is a beautiful garden. <laughs> And we have, to, uh, we have to cultivate it in a way for things to happen. And the way to do that is by never sitting on, your, on, your, on, the, on the past and pushing and always doing more and saying, ah, we can do it. We can do it. It doesn't make any sense, but just, just doing it. It's interesting because one of the things that jumps out at me just now while you were talking, it kind of hit me before and then just now crystallized really powerfully, is that there's kind of like a, a dual frame that's going on here. On the one hand, the Rebbe is saying, constantly accomplish and look for where you can bring more good into the world, more light into the world, which normally you would think about from the context of like, okay, so then you're looking for what's bad about the world and then figuring out how you can bring the good into the world. But the Rebbe is not looking at it that way. He seems to be kind of like straddling a dialectic very powerfully. The, this world is the gun. Right. Right? This is the garden. Yeah. This is, it's so beautiful. It's so wonderful. It's and so amazing. And the gardeners, us, right. are the best. Right. <laughs> <laughs> no one's better. Right. And yet there's a tremendous like energy and focus and determination and unending push forward to constantly make it better and better and better, which is very like a strength, what we would call like psychologically, like a strengths-oriented perspective. But it's not a strengths-oriented perspective that drags a person to a place of complacency. It's a strengths-oriented perspective, not to drug it down, not to draw it down. I'm saying comparably Lahavdil. But it's a strengths-oriented perspective that drives a person forward again and again and again and more. Okay, now, great. Okay, wonderful. We did it. That's, it's even more. There's even more beauty to uncover. It's not so much rectifying what was bad, but rather like the excitement and curiosity of the beauty, the further beauty that can be, that can be revealed. Right? So it's not just like, okay, so the Rebbe was printing Shabbos Times in the New York Times because the world is so dark, so you want to find a little bit of light in the darkness of the New York Times. No, the Rebbe is saying, you don't understand, there's beauty in the New York Times. Right? So I want to find the beauty. I want to reveal the beauty in the New York Times. Mm. The New York Times is beautiful. It's not ugly. Right? It's just, it's just covered up. Okay, I'm saying. Right? Am I no, misrepresenting? No, no. Right? So Today's day and age, people are going to feel very bad <laughs> talking about the New York Times having such a bad uh, effect with Israel. Right, right. But the point, I, I, you, you, your point is that the fact that it's, it's, it's so up there means that God there's, there's something to be revealed in there. A, a, a great right, there's something language. tragic about the fact that the Rebbe saw such a beauty in, let's say, the New York Times, and that it's oh. so fallen, right? Yeah. You could say it that way, but in terms of his vision, what he was seeing was how far it could go. It wasn't, even even like the outreach kind of thing, I, w- I wonder what you would think about this, is like, there's a lot of controversy about where the Rebbe would send his Hasidim to dark places to put tefillin on, right? And what's the point? And the guy doesn't have, he doesn't have the right kavanas, right? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But, it seems to me like when you're looking at the world through the lens of the Rebbe, through this lens of this is a garden, right? And here's this beautiful f- flower that's waiting to put on tefillin. It's waiting. It's not, it's not like, oh, he's a yid that's going in a different, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to redirect him. No, he went to the Tel Aviv beach to go put on, he just doesn't realize that he went today to the beach to put on tefillin, 
Right, he doesn't realize. But if the chas is not there to put the tefillin on, right. so then it doesn't happen. But but that guy is driving towards the positive, so it has like a totally different slant. Not to get lost in the philosophy of it, because it's totally beyond us. But like in terms of perhaps how we view our own lives, right? To feel to see our lives through that lens of positivity. You remind me, and this would be a great, uh, actually a story that happened to show how this plays out. Yeah. In Chabad, one of the things that boys do after the yeshiva ends at 12 o'clock, so they, they have free time. So what, what could you do? Is you could go outreach at that time. That's when you go putting on tefillin and for people. Now, that's a perfect example of going past. And you're in yeshiva all week. Right. Everything, and you finally have your, your free time. And what do they do? Time. Now it's time for time. You don't get punished if you don't. No right. one's also pushing that, and that's where almost all the all these movements started from this particular thing. Right. Bachem would go out in the streets, randomly asking people if they're Jewish again. So there's one person that I know, an amazing guy, and he was in London, and this boy came over to him and started talking to him about Shabbos, and he tells him. There's nothing like Shabbos. Shabbos is the most beautiful day in the world. It's quantified. It's there's no way to describe it. He says it's just the most beautiful day. It's different than any other day. He says so. This this man tells me I left this young boy who told me this, and he lived in the outskirts of of, of London, and he was a writer. And he says, you know what? That was weird. he goes. What do you mean it's different? How could it be different? He says, no, you don't work on Shabbos, and you just spiritual. So he decided, you know what? He put a handkerchief on his typewriter. And uh, I think this, this happened in the, uh, in the 70s or something. He put a handkerchief on his thing. He's not working. He remembers his grandfather making kiddish. He had a cup of wine. And he just didn't do any work. He says it was the most beautiful day he ever had in his life. Mm. He went nuts. Like he went wild. And he did it again. Until he searched out the Chabad rabbi and then he started becoming religious and, uh, and he's a fantastic person. So I asked him, now I go, is it as beautiful? Uh... <laughs> so he, he's a very honest person. Because there's ups and downs, you know, whatever. He says when he spoke to the rabbi, he, when the first time he came to him for Shabbos, he says, does it always, is it always this beautiful? And he says, the rabbi chuckled and said, you'll see. So I'm talking to him, and I tell him, you know what the rabbi meant? He goes, what? He goes, you're about chova. He goes, you saw something that regular religious people don't see. Right. You touched upon a core thing because you changed. You went to a place that you're not comfortable in. The boy was not comfortable. The boy pushed it because he was supposed to go on vacation, just chill out the rest of the day. And he spoke to you, and he sent that energy to you. Mm. And then you picked it up, and you decided to do something that's so against your character. You didn't. This is what, I don't do anything on there, all right? Because some kid came over and you said, I'm going to give it a shot. And you pushed, and you opened up something unbelievable. And for opening it up, you got this crazy energy. And a lot of us that do this every single Shabbos in a monotonous way and not pushing it, we say that we look at you guys, and, uh, and when you say it, you're like, you know, you'll see. Because he had no idea what you're talking about. And this is an older gentleman. And he, he looks at me and goes, you think so? You think he didn't get it? Do you really? <laughs> I'm like, I'm sure he didn't get what you say. Because whoever pushes this level, when pushing yourself to this other level, 
is where you find that joy. It's where you find the joy. Wow. All right, Mayor, thank you so much. Thank you for joining us. And uh, I guess a good yant to everybody. Okay, so thanks for joining. I hope this was as insightful and illuminating for you as it was for me. I uh, really get a chance to really dissect a little bit of what greatness looks like and what we can learn from the greats. So wishing you an, an amazing end of the week and the best Shabbos you ever had. Best day you ever had. All right. Much love. Thank you for joining the Consciously family. Consciously is brought to you by The Light Revealed, a social media publisher bringing messages of Jewish spirituality and recovery to whoever is looking for them. Consciously is made possible by the kindness of the Capellius family in memory of Tepora Basra Varum. Our producer is Morty Schwartz. Our audio engineer is Alps. And our artwork is by Tani Puzz. Our social media team is led by Tehil and Asanian with help from Zoe Poznanski. The assistant to the regional co-host is Shmaya Hanukman. And our music is by Eitan Katz featuring Zush. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you can give us a review and subscribe on Apple, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, and wherever else you get your podcasts. We love connecting with you, so please feel free to email us at consciouslythepodcast at gmail.com or private message us on Instagram or Facebook at The Light Review.